What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and I am back today with the latest edition of our annual Scouting the Enemy series. So far this summer, we have previewed Virginia, which of course turned out to be all for naught. Swear I'm not frustrated over spending all the time on that show for it to end up being for absolutely nothing. But we did Virginia. We've previewed Alabama, Auburn, and Missouri so far as part of this series. If you missed any of those episodes, they are still up and ready for you to check out. So you can kind of get a little bit of a better feel for those teams as we inch closer and closer to the 2020 college football season. But today, we are putting our focus on good old Rocky Top as we preview the Volunteers of Tennessee. Quickly though, before we do that, I want to give shout outs to Tress P, Dogs 180, and Trevor Woodworth for being the latest listeners to take the time to write some really nice reviews of our show on Apple Podcasts. Those reviews are a huge help to our podcast as we continue to try and grow and really just be able to bring you guys our brand of content. So a big, big thank you to each of those guys and thank you again to everyone else who has taken the time to rate and or review our podcast over the summer. Not only is that incredibly humbling for us, But again, it has tangible benefits in the form of really just kind of helping us increase the number of listeners that we have. And of course, when you run a podcast, that's kind of a big deal, right? And as we enter September and move closer to this 2020 season, we're really trying to kick into overdrive in terms of kind of raising awareness of the show and gaining as many new listeners as we possibly can. And ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts, believe it or not, they actually help us a lot with that. But we've also had a number of you reach out and say, hey guys, I love the show but I don't listen to you on Apple Podcasts. I listen to you on another platform. Is there another way that I can help you guys out? And we really appreciate those sentiments. And yes, the answer is yes. Absolutely, there is. A big and very simple way that you can help us is just by kind of helping us spread the word about the podcast. Now that we're entering the the one-month countdown, here, here we are, guys. It's hard to believe, but a month, we're less than a month away from this 2020 season And this is when attention really starts to turn back towards college football. We just had the glorious opening weekend of college football, the one game uh, with Austin Peay in Central Arkansas, which I'm sure most of you probably caught at least part of, which was just, it was awesome. Like In any other year, would I watch that game? No, because I have other games to watch. But man, for one night, like that was the center of my life. It It was a beautiful thing, man. It was glorious. So... College football is technically already back, and the Georgia football season, the SEC season, is just a couple of weeks away, just around the corner. So tell your friends, tell your family, your coworkers, anyone and everyone about the show. Encourage them to just give us a try. Spread the word on social media. You guys can follow us at glory underscore UGA if you don't already do so. Like, retweet, all of that kind of stuff. Every little bit helps. So thanks in advance for all that, guys. We really, really do appreciate it. But let's go ahead and get to the good stuff today. The Tennessee Volunteers are up today in our Scouting the Enemy series that we run each and every offseason. And Tennessee is now entering year three of the Jeremy Pruitt tenure. And and you guys know, like you've been paying attention all offseason. The hype train has been building for this Tennessee program. You know, after a five and seven first year under Jeremy Pruitt last year, the Vols managed to recover from, I mean, does embarrassing, does, does that word even really do it justice? That 0-2 start with, with the hilarious home losses to Georgia State and BYU. BYU. BYU obviously is a more respectable program, 
But Tennessee had that game and blew that one late, like epically blew that game. And then, of course, losing at home to Georgia State to open the season, like that, that is truly the definition of hilarious. But they rebounded from that. You've got to give them credit. Everyone thought, including myself, thought they were kind of just spiral out of control from there because like that's all we, we saw in the first two weeks. Is like, oh my God, this team is comically bad. But they rebounded to go 8-5 and five overall after a comeback win over Indiana, a game they really had no business winning. But they won the game, so 8-5 and five it is. And predictably after that, the hype train has started chugging right along. It's not out of control yet like it has been for Florida and Dan Mullen for what, nearly two years now. I mean, that hype train with, with Florida has kind of been off the rails lately, in my opinion. But the Tennessee hype train isn't quite there yet. It's not at that level. And it isn't quite to like early Butch Jones brick by brick levels yet. But it's certainly taken off. And, and it's well along its way. It's chugging along. And it all kind of started, as far as I'm concerned, it all started after the second half of last season when they were able to roll off six wins in a row. I told you guys they rebounded. They rebounded in a big way. Now, it wasn't against great competition, but they rolled off six wins in a row after starting the season two and five with those losses to Georgia State and BYU to open the season. But as is the case with most instances of hype in general, it's kind of just the nature of hype, all context was ignored. Sure, yeah, they won six in a row to end the season, but who are those wins against? Who are they actually beating? Those wins were against South Carolina, UAB, Kentucky, Missouri, Vanderbilt, and Indiana. Only two of those six games were against Power 5 teams that ended the season with a winning record. They beat Kentucky and Missouri, two teams that we beat by a combined score of 48 to nothing, by a combined score of 41 to 33, essentially one touchdown difference between Tennessee and Kentucky and Missouri combined. And then they had to make a miraculous comeback to beat Indiana in the bowl game, in the Gator Bowl, by one point, 23 to 22. And they, and they won that game really because Indiana early in that game missed an extra point. Tennessee was down two touchdowns. They were down 13 points with, I think, I want to say like under eight minutes to play in that game. And yeah, they came back to win. They got a, they scored late, got an onside kick, recovered that, and were able to go down the field and score, and, and they won. So give them credit there. Did they improve? Yeah, yeah, they did. They did improve last year, especially as the season went along. But should wins, like my question is this, should wins against teams of that caliber, the South Carolinas, the UABs, the Missouris, the Bandies, the Indianas of the world, should wins against teams of that caliber really generate the kind of hype that Tennessee has going into this season, and they've kind of enjoyed throughout this offseason. And then it really started to gain steam early in the summer when the Vols landed a stream, you guys remember this, a stream of 2021 commitments. And for a while there, they were actually sitting inside the top three in the 2021 recruiting rankings on 247. And people were coming out of the woodwork, man, pumping their chest, declaring the Vols are back, baby, right? Even old Clay Travis, you guys know him, even old Clay Travis was pumping the fake juice on social media seemingly every time Tennessee landed a new commitment because he, he's, a, he's a Tennessee fan at heart. But of course, we're talking about May and June here, and their inflated ranking was really just a matter of numbers, as I've talked about when it was actually uh, going on earlier in the summer. It was about quantity as opposed to quality of prospect. Heck, they had 23 players committed to be in their class by the 4th of July. I mean, guys, we have a hard 25 cap right now. They, they were essentially full, more or less, by the 4th of July, and more than half of those guys 
were three-star prospects. Sure, there were some good guys in the class, but again, more than half of the class was three-star prospects when it was essentially almost full. Uh, even now, they have as many three-stars, exactly the same number of three-stars in this class as they do four and five-stars combined. They have 12 three-stars in their class right now, and 12 four and five-stars combined, only one five-star, so basically all four-stars there. And to kind of just give you a frame of reference, because again, I like, I like to put things in context, so kind of give you that context, we currently have only 14 commitments to Tennessee's 24. But while exactly 50% of their 24 players are three stars or less, only 21% of ours, by comparison, are three stars or less right now. Now, once we catch up in numbers, which we will, guys, we will blow past them in the team rankings because the quality of our players that we have already landed and the guys that we are still heavily in contention for the, guy, the, the Marius Mims of the world, Nylon Green, Corey Foreman, Smell Mondans of the world, those kind of guys, the talent of the guys that we're landing, the quality, the ranking of those guys is just superior to that of Tennessee. It's really not that hard to figure out. I mean, anyone who has like just a basic rudimentary understanding of how recruiting works and how the rankings are put together, they understood that once the big boys caught up in numbers, they would jump over the Vols because the quality of the players they were landing was, as I said, superior. And predictably, already, Tennessee has started to drop in the rankings, which, and again, guys, the rankings really just don't, like, I don't even look at the rankings, honestly, until about December. They don't really matter until that time because that's when guys are actually going to start putting pen to paper and, and signing with teams. But they are down to number six already after being number two, number three for most of the summer. And as I said back in June, yeah, they'll almost certainly end up with like a fringe top 10 class this year. Somewhere between eight and 12 is my projection right now, which is a good class. That's a good class, but it's nowhere near an elite or championship level class. But with hype, so I'm saying facts don't matter when you're talking about hype. Context does not matter. All that matters are little anecdotes that fans and talking heads can use to drive whatever agenda it is that they want to drive. And of course, if you're a Tennessee fan or if you cover Tennessee, you want to drive the idea that Tennessee is their back, baby, right? And if you're just a, a talking head in general, yeah, it, it, no one wants to hear that Georgia's just going to win the SEC East year after year after year. So yeah, it, it kind of drums up interest and in you being able to throw out the possibility that some other team might be able to, to jump up and, and contend with Georgia for the SEC East crown. But it's not just recruiting in the future of the Tennessee program that people are jacked about. Like I, I get the idea that they're excited about what's going to come in the future. And I, and I don't necessarily think that's, that's wrong. I think they do have a bright future ahead of them. But what kind of gets me is there's been plenty of hype for them as a legitimate SEC East contender this year. I mean, just last week, Matt Leiner went on Fox's Big Noon kickoff, promoting Tennessee as a team that has, quote, a real shot to make a run for the SEC East, saying that, quote, this is a team loaded on both sides of the ball. Huh? Do they have some good players? Sure, absolutely. Henry Toa Toa and Trey Smith are as good as anyone in the SEC at their respective positions, but loaded? Come on, man. Seriously? If we're talking about this Tennessee roster as, quote, loaded, then that word has lost all meaning in that specific context. I mean, talk about hyperbole. It's really, guys, it's exactly because of ridiculous statements like that 
that I just, I can really not bring myself to listen to the talking heads on Fox or ESPN anymore. I just cannot do it. If they spent half as much time studying teams and doing research as they do sitting in the makeup chair getting ready to look good for the camera, then they might have like just a shred of credibility. But as it stands right now, they have no credibility for me. I, I, all offseason, I mean, we haven't really had football. So we, we've had this extended offseason. We've just heard guys just talk and talk and talk and talk ad nauseum. And it has just become as clear as ever for me that the vast majority of these talking heads on the mainstream networks just really have no idea what they're talking about. And I get it's tough because you have to cover all of college football. And it's really hard to go in depth with all of college football. It's just a lot to, to take in. I get that. But like, my thing is, yeah, that, that makes sense. I understand that. But then don't act like you're an expert on every single player and every single team when very clearly you are not. But anyway, that's kind of beside the point. Let's get back on track here. So what I want to do today is to look beyond the hype at what this 2020 Tennessee football team really is. Are they really a contender for the SEC East crown this year, as Matt Leiner said last week? You know, beating the South Carolinas and the Kentuckys and the Missouris of the world, that's one thing. But are they really ready to not only compete with, but actually beat the big boys this year? The Georgias, the Floridas, the Alabamas of the world. You look at last year, like I said, they beat Kentucky and Missouri by a combined score of 41 to 33. Those are teams that we beat by a combined score of 48 to nothing. They lost to Georgia, Florida, and Alabama by a combined score of 112 to 30. For them to be a contender this year, like a true contender, they're going to have to win at least two of those games against Georgia, Florida, and Alabama. Are they ready to do that? Like they lost those three games by an average of four touchdowns each last year. Have they improved that much? Have they caught up that much ground in one year? Yeah, I think they're going to be improved but like that much. Really? Seriously, we're going there right now? I just don't know what that's based off of, but let's explore that. Let's explore that in more detail, starting with the Tennessee offense. And well, we all should be pretty familiar with what they do on offense, given that our old friend Jim Chaney is running the show up there these days. You guys that have been listening for a couple of years, you know that I was never really on the fire Jim Chaney bandwagon that a lot of people were on during his years here in Athens. I certainly don't think he was the best offensive coordinator in America, and I think it's fair to say that we could have done better. I think that is fair to say. And I don't think he was worth the inflated amount of money that Tennessee paid him. I think Kirby did the absolutely right thing in letting him walk because he wasn't worth that kind of cash. Where I think Kirby messed up was promoting Coley in his stead, which is a whole other story. But the fact is, I still think Cheney is a very good offensive coordinator. No, his offense isn't fancy. It's not up-tempo. It's not exactly modern. But when he has talent to work with, like he did at Georgia, he could produce some highly efficient offenses. Guys, we were top 12 in yards per play in both 2017 and 2018. I know a lot of you disagree with me and think that that... Jim Chaney was a disaster as, as an offensive coordinator and you wanted him gone from like year one, which yeah, year one was terrible. But I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. Guys, we were top 12 in yards per play in both 17 and 18 under Jim Chaney. Think about how much we could have used that guy last year. As much as you guys, some of you, I don't say everyone, but as, as much as some of you hated Jim Chaney, think about how much better things would have been last year if he was still our offensive coordinator. Heck, we might have found our way in the college football playoff if he was still coaching our, our offense last season. Because as, as Curtis and I have said throughout the offseason, all we had to do was beat South Carolina and we were in the college football playoff. And I, and I know, yeah, Lawrence Cage goes down that game, but I put a lot of that 
on James Coley on that in that specific game. Absolutely put a lot of that on Coley there. They were playing one basic coverage against us all game long. They were playing man-free, one deep safety, and they were just press manning us on the outside of their corners, and they just destroyed us, and we had no answer for it. Coley had had no answers, and, and that was an absolute problem. It would have been the college playoff without that last year. There's no doubt about it. And look, I'm very happy with who we have now because I think I think Todd Munkin is a superior offensive coordinator with a vastly superior resume. But Cheney versus Coley, that ain't much of a contest. So yeah, shake your head at me if you want. That's cool. But I believe if Jim Cheney has enough talent to work with, he can be a very effective offensive coordinator that leads a highly efficient offense because I saw him do it here. The numbers speak for themselves. But the question now for the Tennessee offense, if that's the case, is do they have enough talent on hand for Chain to work with this year? Does he have the raw materials he needs to produce a top 15, top 20 caliber efficient offense? And I, I we'll see. We'll, we're, and I'm going to run through that here because I'm not sure the answer is yes. Now, year one of Chaney at Tennessee had a lot of similarities to year one of Chaney in Athens. You guys remember back to that 2016 season when it was a, a transition year from Rick to Kirby and it was a it was a it was a painful year. Yeah, we did some good things. We ended the year on, on a high note, but it was a rough go for uh, parts of that season. There's no doubt about it. And offensively, we were we were not very good. Now, obviously, we had a true freshman quarterback, but we were not very good offensively that year. Obviously, things took a big step forward in the right direction in 2017, 2018. But to my point, in 2016, in Jim Cheney's first year on the job as our coordinator, we were 87th nationally, averaging 384 yards per game. And last year. Tennessee was 100th nationally in total offense, averaging 366 yards per game. So they're about 20 yards off per game from what we were under Cheney in year one in Athens. Now, at quarterback, I think when we're talking about does he have the talent to work with this year, I think the jury is still very much out there. And I think that really impacts the potential of this offense, given that that is the most important position on the field. Being elite there at quarterback can mask a lot of other deficiencies, while on the flip side, not being elite there can waste a lot of other talented pieces. It, it, and it was kind of a revolving door of sorts for them last year at that position. Jarek Guarantano started the season as the, as the guy who was the primary quarterback for the most of the year, but he was also benched several different times due to both erratic play and just flat out like Felipe Frank's level, actually maybe even beyond Felipe Frank's level, catastrophic decision making. It, it, at times it was worse than that. I mean, that, that decision against Alabama where he just goes rogue and tries to the quarterback sneak and then fumbles in the end zone and they return it for a 100-yard touchdown. That, I mean, that, it was, the game was over after that and they were about to pull within a score in the second half of that game. I mean, that was more catastrophic than maybe anything I've ever seen from Felipe Franks. So when he got benched, it was freshman Brian Maurer who ended up getting a couple of starts against us in Knoxville. You guys, I'm sure, remember that. He got a start against Mississippi State, against Kentucky in the Alabama game as well. He got knocked out of the Alabama game. That's why Guarantano had to come in that game. Um, and that, of course, set him up for that famous going rogue moment that got him benched for Thurstringer J.T. Shrout right after that. Uh, but Guarantano is a guy who I think actually, when you watch the guy play, when things are going well, he has a lot of talent. I don't think he has the potential to necessarily be an elite level quarterback because his decision making is just so poor and his accuracy, it, it is erratic at times. But he's a guy that I think they can win eight or nine games with, as they pretty much did last year with that bowl win, that comeback win over, over Indiana. I just don't think he's a championship-level quarterback. He's a rhythm quarterback, and, and that's fine. Like Once he gets settled and he gets into the zone, 
he can be really good. Like he was really in the zone against Missouri last year on the road and threw for over 400 yards in that game. But the issue is he is not always in that zone. He's highly inconsistent, highly erratic, has a boomer bust quality to him. Like sure, he can go for 415 and two touchdowns against Missouri, but he's also equally likely to turn around the next week and go 6-17 for 120 yards against Vanderbilt. Um, he's a pretty athletic quarterback, and I have to give this guy credit. If there's one thing I really need to give him some credit for is that he is just flat out tough as nails, and I mean physically and mentally. He's a resilient guy. His first couple years on the job playing quarterback, that offensive line was an absolute disaster. He was just getting annihilated, getting beaten down in and down out really but he kept getting right back up and playing and last year getting kind of yo-yo getting pulled in and out of the lineup and Pruitt just almost assaulting him on the sideline of the Alabama game you know the, the ability to kind of bounce back after that just from a, a mental standpoint I mean that kind of that, that says a lot about this guy so I, I do think he is a tough dude and, and that's saying something for sure and the guy has a lot of experience he's basically been a starter more or less for the last two years kind of off and on but I'm just not sure when you come down to it, I'm not sure that you can trust the guy. And if you don't trust your quarterback, then how in the world do you compete for a championship? That's just something I can't wrap my head around with this Tennessee team and some of the hype surrounding them going into this year. And if it's not Guarantana, which it's going to be him, but Maurer, Brian Maurer is the other guy that got some starting experience last year as well as a true freshman. He is more athletic than Guarantano, and Guarantano is an athletic guy. He can move around and extend plays, but Maurer is much more of an athlete, has more of a live arm. From a physical standpoint, I think he does have better tools to work with, but he was a typical freshman quarterback last year. He flashed some great moments, but had a lot more of kind of the head-scratching, what-in-the-world-are-you-doing kind of moments. Forcing balls into non-existent windows, some really bad reads, being forced out of the pocket by like imaginary pressure that's just really not there. His mechanics are a mess, at least they were last year. And the result is that he was even less accurate than Guarantano was, and he wasn't particularly accurate himself. Guarantano completed 59% of his passes, Mauer only 46% of his passes. You are not going to win any football games, or at least not many football games, when you're only completing 46% of your passes. And I think Mauer has the potential to where he can maybe grow into a good player. He's got some tools, like I said, but I need to see some more of him to say that he can be the guy, because the limited time that I saw of him last year, you saw the tools, but you didn't really see the skill set yet to where he was going to be a championship-level quarterback. Now, if I see more of him this year and you, and you see him start to develop some of those skills, then maybe. But right now, I don't know if I've seen enough to say that he can be that guy. Then you have true freshman fringe top 100 prospect from this past cycle, Harrison Bailey from Marietta High School, who the Vols and their fan base are very excited about. Now, he's a bigger guy. He's not the, the mobile guy, kind of like Maurer is or even like Guarantano. But uh, he, he certainly got the size advantage on that. He's 6'5", about 225, 230 pounds. Again, not as mobile, but has a big arm. And he had a ton of talent around him at Marietta. And it had some really good moments there as a quarterback for that Marietta high school football team. But he had a ton, a ton of talent around him. Uh, he did have a huge senior year after not always maybe being as effective earlier in his career. But as a senior, man, he put up some big-time numbers, 4,000-plus yards, 50 touchdowns. But again, also had a ton of talent to work with, too. you got to factor that into the situation. But regardless, like he's a talented guy, and he, and he very well could be the most talented quarterback on the roster with the highest long-term ceiling. But 
he's still a freshman. And I, I just, and sure, some freshmen, if you are a Trevor Lawrence type guy, you can come in and be the guy essentially right away. But I don't know if Harrison Bailey is that kind of guy right now. I think he does need some seasoning. I think he needs a little bit of development. But I, I do think he has a very high ceiling. And I think he certainly, right now, even if he might not be ready at this point, he has the highest long-term ceiling of the quarterbacks on that roster. But Guarantano is the guy. Make no mistake about it. Right now, going into the season, Guarantano is the guy. Jim Chaney basically said as much at his press conference last week, essentially saying that Maurer and Bailey are fighting to be the backups right now, which, which is kind of surprising to me. I, I'm not going to lie here. I thought it was certainly more of an open competition at this point. But that doesn't seem to be the case right now. They seem pretty set on where they are with Garantano. But I, I think this backup battle could be important because if history tells us anything, it's that Garantano absolutely could implode again. He has that boomer bust quality, as I said, it, to where the coaches have to turn to someone else. So if you are the backup, obviously you are in the position to get that next opportunity, kind of like Maurer was last year. Harrison Bailey did miss the, the last couple of weeks with an injury, but he's back practicing now. So if he can win that backup job, there is a chance that he could maybe get his shot before this season's over and all the Vol fans go crazy over that. Now, what could be a different issue for Guarantano this year if he is going to end up being the guy and he, and he kind of holds on to that job throughout the year is exactly who is he throwing the ball to? I think that's a bigger issue right now. Three of their top four wide receivers are gone, including their top two pass catchers and Jawan Jennings and Marquez Callaway. Their leading returning receivers is a guy named Josh Palmer, who uh, had 34 catches for 457 yards last year. And I think this guy is a really good player. He certainly was more of a complimentary piece to Callaway and Jennings last year. But the dude is a talented player. He's very athletic, has a good physical body, strong hands, can make some really tough catches. I think he can be a number one guy. I really believe that he can be. He hasn't done that yet, but I think he has potential based on what I saw from him last year. And he played a, a lot last year. Wasn't their top guy, wasn't their, their second guy. But he was certainly a really good third option for them. And he showed me some things with his athleticism, his ability to make those really tough catches that I think he can step up this year and be the number one for them out wide. But after Palmer, it's a big shrug of the shoulders as far as I'm concerned. Ramel Keaton is a, is a guy that actually, out of Marietta High School, like Harrison Bailey, was a true freshman last year, uh, had 104 yards receiving last year. That's it, 6'3", 195 pounds, a little slender for my liking. But he's an athletic guy. He's got some talent, but he just hasn't done it yet at this level. Maybe he'll be able to do it. He was a four-star level recruit, but we just haven't seen it from him yet. Another true freshman from last year, so he's a rising sophomore. He's a guy named Cedric Tillman who had four catches for 60 yards last year. That's it. Now he's another four-star type guy that they're pretty high on, but like Keaton, just hasn't done it yet. Doesn't mean he cannot do it, but he hasn't done it yet. So it's hard to count on that right now. And then You've got a guy, we'll throw him in, in, the, in the equation here, Vellis Jones, the grad transfer from Southern California. But I, I don't know how much you can really count on this guy. He's got 347 career yards receiving. And as a grad transfer, maybe he can come in and be a piece. But I, I don't see him being like a, a game-changing type talent for them in any way, shape, or form. But they're going to have to find a way to be more consistent and efficient in the passing game. They're going to have to. They really relied on the explosive play last year in the past game. But when they were not hitting those, 
they had a lot of trouble moving the ball consistently down the field. I mean, last year, they were 25th nationally in explosive plays through the air, which is great, but they were only 75th overall in passing offense. So what does that tell me? It tells me that they, yeah, would hit some big plays here and there, but outside of those plays, there wasn't much going on in the Tennessee passing game. So I, I think there's some potential there with guys like Palmer. I mean, Palmer, I think, is going to be a really good player for them. Outside of that, I don't know. I, I'm curious if it's going to be a situation like we kind of faced last year. We have like one really good player, wide receiver, and the other guys are, are trying to find, they're young, inexperienced, trying to kind of find their footing. I think that kind of could be the situation for Tennessee this year. But let's talk about the running game here for a few minutes. Uh, for all the talk and hype about this Tennessee offensive line, Tennessee was terrible running in the football last year. And sure, certainly the inconsistencies at quarterback made it more difficult to run the ball. We kind of saw that last year. But it was really tough going for the Vols on the ground last year, which is a problem. Because if you've ever watched a Jim Cheney offense here at Georgia, which I know you have, you know that running the ball is what the man wants to do. That's the identity. Run the ball and hit play action off of it. But last year it really wasn't working for Tennessee. They were only 87th nationally in rush offense, 85th nationally in yards per carry, 95th in first down yards per carry. So that means they were basically operating behind the chains very consistently. And they were 118th nationally out of 130 teams, by the way, in explosive rush plays. There was not much going on the ground for them. So what was the issue for them with their run game last year? And I honestly don't think it's a stretch to just say everything. And let's start with a running back when I say everything. I think the issue for Tennessee last year, it's not that they didn't have talent back there in the backfield. It's just that they didn't have a feature guy. They had three guys that split carries. And it was kind of anyone's guess as to who was going to get more touches on a game-by-game basis. I still think the most talented running back on their roster, he was on the team last year, he's on the roster again this year, he's a rising senior now, which is hard to believe. I think the most talented back on the roster is undoubtedly Ty Chandler from an athletic standpoint. He did lead them last year in rushing with 655 yards, 4.9 yards of carry. But I've been waiting for three years for this guy to break out. And I don't want it to happen, but when I saw him as a true freshman, I was like, well, that guy is going to be really good. But it hasn't quite panned out that way. He was a a big-time recruit out of Nashville a couple years back. And he's really explosive. He is certainly their most explosive running back. He was a, a true 4-4, laser time 4-4 guy coming out of high school. You know, along with that, he's got solid size. He, he's a good receiver out of the backfield as well. But in saying all of that, in 35 career games, he's only got three 100-yard games under his belt. In fact, he has 20 games of those 35 games. So more than half of his games that he's played as Tennessee Volunteer He's had single-digit touches. Now, that's not necessarily his fault. Maybe it's his fault for not getting the job done in practice. But for whatever reason, he has not consistently been a guy they featured. Although, I, from when I watch them play, it's clear to me he's the most explosive running back. So I can't really figure out what's gone on there. I think I, I, Again, I thought when he was a true freshman, this guy was going to be a big-time back. And I've liked what I've seen from him when he gets carries, but it just doesn't happen enough, in my opinion. And I can't quite figure that out. Now, their second leading rusher was a true freshman named Eric Gray, who had 539 yards on the ground. And, and Gray's fine. like He's solid, but he's not spectacular in any one specific area. He's got good size, but not great. He does run hard. I like that about him. 
He's got good short area quickness, but not elite. He's got average speed. I mean, he's a high 4.5, low 4.6 guy. I think he was laser timed in high school, like a 4.57, I want to say. Uh, but it, I, I do think he has really good vision. I think that's his best attribute, and that's what gets him on the field. He's a really good zone scheme runner, and Chaney runs a lot of zone blocking schemes. He's really good at finding a cutback lane. I think that's what makes him effective in that system. But make no mistake, he is not an elite back by any stretch of the imagination. But I will say he's one of those guys who's just a football player. You know what I mean? Like those guys who maybe aren't the most physically gifted, the most talented, but he just finds a way to make plays good, solid players and churn out some yards for you. And he was up and down as a true freshman, which again, makes sense as a true freshman. To kind of illustrate that for you, from week seven through 12, that five-week span there, he had 30 yards rushing total through those five weeks. And he was not hurt in any of those games. He just wasn't getting a ton of carries and wasn't very productive when he did. But then in week 13, he explodes for 246 yards at Vandy and then closed with a solid 86-yard performance in the bowl game against Indiana. Again, in that bowl game, nothing spectacular, but just a good, solid back showing good vision. Had some plays where, you know, I think if Ty Chandler had the vision of Eric Gray, he might have taken the balls to the house. But Gray... While he had the vision, was able to find the cutback lane, just didn't have the explosiveness to really turn it into a huge play. But it doesn't mean he's not a good back. He's a good, solid back. And based on how he ended the season, you would think he might be the starter coming into this year. But I'm sure it's going to be a battle through other preseason between him and Ty Chandler. Again, I think Chandler's more physically gifted, but there's more to playing running back than just being physically gifted, and that's certainly the case. The third back from last year is a guy named Tim Jordan, more their big physical power back, but he got dismissed from the team. He's gone. He's not going to factor in this equation at all, so we're just going to move on from there. So yeah, I, I think the lack of a true feature elite running back was certainly an issue for Tennessee last year, but on the flip side, it, it almost didn't matter who was running the ball for them last year because the offensive line was trash once again. Maybe small degrees better than what they had been the past couple years, but they were still just straight garbage once again. The pro football focus graded their offensive line out as a unit as the 113th best offensive line in America. They gave them a pass grade of 124th national out of 130 teams, and their rush grade was a little bit better, 76th national. So they, they were better run blocking, they were pass blocking according to pro football focus, and that kind of, that, that kind of plays itself out when you watch them play as well. Uh, and yeah, look, Trey Smith is a guy who gets a lot of hype on this offensive line. He's a guy that dealt with blood clots for a long time. They didn't know if he was ever going to be able to play again. Really talented, five-star prospect formerly coming out of high school. But he has come back, and he played very, very well. And look, I know he's a Tennessee volunteer, but he's the kind of guy you root for. I was really happy for him because I know he fought a lot with those blood clots. And that's just career-threatening, life-threatening potentially. So it was really good to see a guy like that can get back and get healthy and go out there and perform the level that that he's capable of. And he is indeed a very bad dude at guard. He's a potential first-round draft pick. He's really, really good. The hype is real for him. Brandon Kendi at center, he's a a transfer from Alabama a couple years back, and he's solid there. He knows what to do for the most part. doesn't blow a ton of assignments, but he does get beat a little too much for me to say that he's an elite center. But at the very least, he's a good, solid, stable middle of that offensive line but man the tackles were a problem last year and oh yeah 
Those are the guys that so many people in the media and in the Tennessee fan base are pointing at as the reasons why this volunteer offensive line is now suddenly going to be one of the best, not just in the SEC, but maybe one of the best in the nation, which I just can't really quite wrap my head around because it just does not at all jive with what I see when I watch them on tape. I don't see that at all. And I'm not, I, and I promise you, I'm not going into it saying, I, I, I'm convinced that this Tennessee offensive line is, is just not good. I'm not looking for confirmation bias. I'm trying to see what this offensive line really is. And yeah, when you, when you watch Trey Smith, you see an elite player. You see a guy that's a potential first-round NFL draft. When you watch Brandon Kenny, you see a guy that knows what he's doing. He's a solid, stable guy. Maybe not elite, but a, but a good player in the middle of that offensive line. But when you watch those tackles, whew, it is not pretty. And those are the guys that they're pointing at saying, oh yeah, these guys are going to take us to the next level. And sure, like maybe it happens. Maybe that offensive line turns out to be one of the best in the country. But I got to say, if that does somehow happen, it might just be the single biggest single season jump in quality for an offensive line in the history of college football. I mean that. I mean, in the hype for this Tennessee offensive line, it centers on three players. Trey Smith, who I said is a beast, and, four, and then also former five-star recruits, Wayne Morris and Darnell Wright, who were true freshmen last year. Again, hype is real for Trey Smith. Powerful, athletic, just a beast. But anyone who watched those two freshman tackles play last year, I mean, actually paid close attention to Wayne Morris and Darnell Wright, they know that they were an unmitigated disaster last year. Both of them. It got so bad that Wright got benched. Then they gave another shot, right? Because you still see a future for this guy. Got benched again because he was that bad. And just like one quick snapshot of Darnell Wright, he didn't start the bowl game, but he comes in early in the second half when they were down, trying to get a, a spark there, sure. And he gives up a sack almost immediately, and he gets pulled right back out. And, and I think the issue, when you, when you watched Darnell Wright last year, he was just way too big. He was overweight. I know offensive linemen got to be big, but he was way, way too big. He was so big that he just was not moving well at all. Terrible balance. I mean, his technique was just a, like, it was a disaster. I mean, his head was down. He was constantly reaching. Doesn't have great arm length anyway. Uh, so when you kind of you don't have the great link there. You're putting your head down. You're off balance. You're reaching. It's a recipe for a disaster at right tackle. And that's exactly what Darnell Wright was. Wayne Morris on the other side played left tackle for the most part. Moved around a little bit, but by the end of the year, he was kind of settled in at left tackle. He fared a little bit better than Wright, but not much. He got benched for a minute there, but they just didn't really have many other options to kind of throw him back out there at left tackle. And man, it maybe wasn't as bad as as Wright, but it was still pretty bad, man. It kind of had the opposite issue to Darnell Wright. He's too small. He was last year, at least, to the point that he was just getting physically dominated most of the year. And that's one of the things I always talk about when I'm talking about whether it's offensive lineman or defensive lineman, true freshman coming into the SEC. It's a man's league. I mean, you've got to be very well physically developed to be able to hold up consistently on the line of scrimmage in the SEC. And that just wasn't Morris last year. He just got dominated far too often. Now, he did move better and is more athletic than Darnell Wright, but he's still a major work in progress from a technique standpoint. And look, I'm sure both of those guys will be improved this year as they get another year in the system. But again, they just had so much room for improvement that both of those guys, Morris and Wright, would have to take Herculean leaps 
for this offensive line to be as good as so many out there are expecting them to be in 2020. But the bottom line for Morris and Wright both is that every ounce of the hype for them is based on the fact that they were both five-star recruits. It has absolutely nothing to do with how they played last year because they were certified dumpster fires last year. That's just that's just the way it was, guys. I mean, seriously, if you can find the tapes anywhere, if you don't have them saved on, on your DVR, try to pull up some games on, on YouTube or whatever and just watch those two players. Darnell Wright, 72. Wayne Morris, 64. And pretty quickly, you will see exactly what I am talking about. They just, they weren't good. They were not good. And I think this is where it really hurts them that Cade Mays was not granted immediate eligibility because I imagine they were counting on him to come in and man one of those tackle spots. And they were kind of just hoping that one of the two between Morris and Wright could come on and give them something at the other tackle spot. But sucks for them so that's the Tennessee offense. Like I told you earlier, when Cheney has talent to work with, especially in the offensive line, he can produce some really good and really efficient offenses. But I just don't see enough talent this year, particularly on that offensive line. Yes, Trey Smith is a beast, but the tackles, the tackles are a problem. And you don't have Cade Mays to kind of give you a, a little bit of, of room to maneuver there, a little bit of margin for error. I just, I don't see it right now. And sure, some of the young guys that played a lot last year will likely be improved, but they also lost three of their top four wide receivers. They're down a man at running back. So I really think all in all, it's going to be a wash for them on the offensive side of the ball. So that begs the question, is the volunteer defense going to be good enough to carry them into contention for the SEC East crown? They were pretty good last year. Top 25 good. Took a pretty good step forward from where they were in year one under Jeremy Pruitt, which makes sense. They were 23rd nationally until defense giving up 335 yards a game, 29th nationally in scoring defense, giving up just a little under 22 points a game, and 31st nationally in points per play, which is an efficiency measure that I think is really important to look at. But looking at their defense this year, well, they are certainly ahead of where their offense is. When you're talking about how much they could improve this year, how much of a step they can take forward this year, I actually think it's pretty similar to the situation that their offense is in. They certainly have young talent returning that's more experienced now, and I think should certainly take some sort of a step forward. But they're also losing some really key players as well. So I think all in all, like with the offense, it could be a wash this year defensively, with the end result being they perform at about the same level that they did last year, which was good. Top 25, good. But is that good enough when your offense, I don't think it's like that much of a step forward this year, is top 25 level defensively going to be good enough for you to really seriously contend for the SEC East title this year? And I just don't know if that's the case. And when breaking down their defensive personnel, I'm actually going to start with their inside linebackers, because that's where I think their best player plays. And that is Henry Toto. He's an inside linebacker from the state of California. They won a, a big recruiting battle, were able to get him to Knoxville. He started 12 games for them last year as a true freshman and was an all-SEC freshman. That dude is legit. He is the real deal. Like, just like Trey Smith is the real deal for them on their offensive line, Henry Toto is the real deal for them on defense. He's prototypical in his size, six foot two, about 225 pounds, also has prototype speed and athleticism. Watching him last year in, in real time and also going back and watching him on tape to prepare for this show, I've been really impressed with his instincts and command, particularly 
given the fact that he was a true freshman last year, you don't see that all that often at that position from guys that are that young. I think he has the the skill set, the talent, the raw tools to be a three-down inside linebacker. He's not necessarily super advanced with his pass coverage skills now, but he can develop that because he has the physical tools, the athleticism, the speed, all those things. He flies the ball. He's a good tackler. He does attack downhill. He's a good pass rusher as well. I think he has All-American potential. Maybe not this year, but before he's he leaves Knoxville, I think he has potential to be an All-American. I think he also has first-round NFL draft pick potential as well. He's a really, really good inside linebacker. I think the bigger question is the guy next to him. Daniel Batuli was a multi-year starter for them, an inside linebacker, but he is gone now. He kind of took toe toe under his wing, but he has now moved on. And Batuli is one of the departing key players for this Vol defense. And the two guys vying to replace him are guys without a ton of experience. You've got sophomore Quavarius Crouch and redshirt sophomore J.J. Peterson from Colquitt County here in the state of Georgia. And Peterson's a really good athlete. I'm sure some of you are, are familiar with him from his high school days at Colquitt. And he's a really good athlete, but he's had some off-the-field issues at Tennessee, and he played sparingly last year as a redshirt freshman. I think he only had 11 tackles total throughout the entire year, just totally seeing mop-up duty. Quiveris Crouch, uh, he's the guy that saw much more extensive playing time last year as a true freshman. I think he's the favorite to win that job next to Toto. He's he's a bigger guy at inside linebacker, more of a throwback kind of guy, honestly. The old school Alabama type inside linebackers that, that we've kind of moved away from, but he, he kind of fits that bill for them this year. He's about 235, 240 pounds. He was a really, some of you probably remember Crouch from his recruitment. He was a really prolific running back in high school, and it was a big-time running back recruit for a while. But he, there's always the question of, like, is he going to outgrow that position? And the answer is yes, he did. Um, but still, yeah, he outgrew the running back position, but he moves pretty well for being 235, 240 or so pounds. But he's still very much learning that position, how to play inside linebacker. And, and yeah, you can being athletic is great, but you've got to learn the nuances of that position. There's a lot of subtleties to playing inside linebacker that a lot of people might not recognize. And that's something that, that comes with time. He did play a good bit last year, but it was always in a reserve role. Not near as instinctive as Toto, obviously, because he's very new to that position. And, and when that happens, when you're new to the position, you don't always know what to do. You don't play as fast. That's just reality. You just don't. And I'm sure that will change some this year with more experience. But I do think he's going to be a pretty decent step down from what Daniel Batuli gave them last year. Now, maybe if you're looking forward to 2021, maybe he's a different player. But I don't know if he's ready to play at a Daniel Batuli level in 2020. I just don't know if he's there yet. I think Batuli was a pretty good line, actually a really good inside linebacker for Tennessee. But I, I do think they're in pretty good shape overall at inside linebacker, especially with Toto leading the way, being as good as I think he is. But the defensive line, however, that's another story. I, I When I'm looking at this Tennessee defensive line and really kind of zeroing in on them, watching them play, getting ready for this show, I just I still don't know who the difference makers are up front for them. Darrell Taylor was that guy last year. He was he was their pass their, their lead pass rusher. And he was, I think, arguably their best player on defense last year. But he was a second-round draft pick last year. He's on the NFL. And I just, I don't think, at least I haven't seen evidence of them having anyone to replace him. To be nearly as productive as he was last year as their top pass rusher. Now, I mean, honestly, their leading returning sack man is their nickelback. 
Like that's the situation they're in coming into this year. Kevon Bennett and DeAndre Johnson are the leaders in the clubhouse to be their starters at the Jack and Sam outside linebacker positions, respectively. But those guys combined for just four and a half sacks last year. Like, I, I don't know if they're like ready to really step into the Darrell Taylor role and come close to replacing the production that he gave them. Because even when Taylor, like, he's one of those guys, even when he didn't necessarily get the sack, like he was disrupting the place, disrupting what the quarterback was doing. He was a really good pass rusher for them. And then if you look on the interior of that defensive line, I, I think they're honestly just straight up pedestrian. I don't see anyone coming close to a game changer right there. Aubrey Solomon's probably their leader at the interior defensive tackle spot. But man, like yeah, he was a he was a pretty big recruit back in the day. We wanted him, he ends up going to Michigan, but he had to transfer out of Michigan because he wasn't playing there. He comes to Tennessee, there's more playing opportunity there because they just don't have a ton of guys along that defensive line. And he played a, a fair amount last year, but just wasn't a difference maker. And I, I don't think he's going to be. He's a good solid piece, but He's just a, he's kind of a, a guy there. And the, and the other guy I think it's going to be uh, in the mix there is Greg Emerson as well. He's another guy. I think same thing as Aubrey Solomon. Good, solid, decent player, but just not a game-changing type guy. And like I said earlier, I think the SEC is still very much a line of scrimmage league. And if you don't have the players along the defensive line, that certainly could impact the effectiveness of a star linebacker like Henry Toto. It absolutely could. So, uh, yeah, I, I like their inside linebackers, but that defensive front and, and the pass rushers, I just I don't see the difference makers there right now. Maybe somebody steps up, but I, I have seen no evidence of the guys that are going to be their leading contenders to be those guys this year. I've seen no evidence that they're going to do that. And finally, let's wrap this all up with the Tennessee secondary. So as I just laid out, I'm not really all that high on the defensive line. But I do think the cornerback, nickelback group of Alante Taylor, Bryce Thompson, and Sean Schamberger at nickel is one of the stronger overall units on this team. None of those guys, whether it's Thompson, Schamberger, or Alante Taylor, none of them are as good as To'o To'o like it, at their specific position. But as a unit, I think it's likely their best overall unit on the defense. Bryce Thompson missed the first part of last season with some off-the-field issues, a suspension, but he came back and played very well. Uh, Alante Taylor is a guy who is a converted wide receiver. He's still learning that position, but he's gotten better each year. And I, I've seen enough from him with, with his athleticism, his fluidity, to acknowledge that he might be in for a really good junior season. Now he's got two years playing that position under his belt at the college level. I think he's got the tools to be a really good player out there for them. So that, that's a really good one-two punch outside. And Sean Schamberger was the guy who wasn't supposed to be their guy last year. Balin Buchanan was a the guy they thought was going to be the, the guy there. He ends up getting injured. Schamberger comes in there. He's a rising senior. And he played pretty well for them at that spot and looks to build on that entering his senior season. Now, safety is not necessarily as promising as what I think they have at the cornerback spots. They're really going to miss Nigel Warrior. And look, Warrior was never the superstar he was supposed to be coming out of high school. If you guys remember, like there was a pretty big recruiting battle over Nigel Warrior a couple years back, but he really never quite reached that level of hype. I never at least lived up to the hype, but he did put together a really nice senior season. I think he did finally start to live up to that hype to some degree. You know, after after I mean, essentially three or so years as a starter, he had a long, he started there for a while. And it wasn't until last year where you really started to see him kind of put it all together. But 
It's a little too late for him. He's gone now, and they've got a guy named Jalen McCullough, who started the final six games as a true freshman alongside Nigel Warrior. I think he has a promising future, but as a true freshman, look, again, true freshman, you're still learning the position, obviously, but he did have issues in coverage at times. He's going to have to be that guy for them back there at the safety position. And this is a defense that I really would. I would absolutely attack them from the slot and up the seams because I think they're pretty good outside, maybe not as strong at the safety position, especially if you can get a guy matched up from the slot or an athletic tight end matched up on a guy like Quaveris Crouch. I think that's a matchup advantage that you're going to win pretty consistently. So that's kind of how I would attack them, really good outside, maybe not quite as good in coverage in the middle of the field. So looking at this Tennessee team in totality, I'm just not sure I expect a huge step forward this year. Now, that doesn't mean the program isn't moving in the right direction or that they can't recruit well enough to become a legitimate SEC East contender in the relatively near future. I just I just don't think they're there yet. Not quite yet. They still don't have an elite quarterback. There's too many questions at quarterback right now, and that's a position where you've got to be good if you want to win at the highest level. you just got to. If you want to beat the Georgias, the Floridas, the Alabamas, the world, you've got to get elite at quarterback. And Guarantano, I think... He can, he can be a good player. I think they can win eight or nine games with him. He's a talented guy, but he makes some boneheaded decisions. He's erratic with his accuracy, and I just don't know if he's that. I don't think he's that guy, to be honest. The offensive line should improve, but they still have a long way to go and are very much still a work in progress. They're going to have to replace one of the most productive wide receivers in Tennessee history, top five overall receiving yards in Jawan Jennings, and of course his running mate as well, Marquez Callaway. They do have a star in Henry Toa on defense, but their average up front in a line of scrimmage league, they potentially have a few holes on the back end. They're going to take some steps forward at some spots, like inside linebacker and I think cornerback as well. But then they're going to take steps back in other spots defensively with the result that this team will be about what they were last year. I think that's what you're going to see from Tennessee in 2020. Again, that doesn't mean that in 2021, 2022, they can't become more serious contenders for the SEC East crown. I fully expect them to, honestly. But right now, I just don't know if they're there. I think the hype might be a, a, a year too early. Kind of makes me think of Texas A&M. In, in some ways. And it was a team that had some had, had a good bit of hype coming in last year, had a lot of those receivers coming back, have a returning quarterback, year two of the Jimbo Fisher era, and people were expecting them to do some big things. Very tough schedule, but it didn't work out exactly like people wanted. They just didn't win any of those big games. I think they ended up 7-5 and five in the regular season, but I think that hype might have been a year early. I think A&M can actually be that team people wanted them to be last year, I think they could be that team this year. And maybe that happens for Tennessee in 2021 or 2022. Maybe there's a year or two early with some of the hype. And look, I get it. I get the Tennessee fans wanting to hype this team up because they are so desperate for anything. They're so desperate to get back on top. It's been a long time for them. They have not won an SEC title since 1998. Last time they played for one was in 2007. It's been a minute, guys. It's been a long time. It's been a tough, tough couple of even decade plus for Tennessee now so I understand them maybe jumping the gun a little bit with some of the hype because they do have some players that they they should get hyped about a guy like Henry Toto Trey Smith yeah get hyped about those guys but I think it's a little bit too much with some of the guys like Wayne Morris and Darnell Wright they're they're just not there yet the offensive line is not there yet there are just too many holes still on this team. They're going to continue to recruit well. I told you guys when they hired Jimmy Pruitt that he was going to bring players into that program, and he is well on his way to doing that. And they're going to continue to improve year after year. I just don't think this is their year.
But all right, guys, that does it for me here today on the Glory UGA podcast. Hope you enjoyed this breakdown of the Tennessee Volunteers. With to play them in the first half of the year where our schedule is very, very front-loaded. But I still think we have the better team, the more talented team. Get them at home, even if there's not going to be much of a crowd there. And I, I do think that we should win this game fairly comfortably. Obviously, we'll have you covered completely a lot more in detail once that game gets here, that game week gets here. But thanks for listening, guys. Curtis will be back with me later on this week for our next episode. And then we have a special guest that will be joining us for the final episode of the week. So we'll have more information on that uh, in a couple of days. So definitely check back for that. But thanks for listening, guys. I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs. <laughs>